All right, good morning, friends. Let's uh, flip back over to Romans chapter 14. We're going to continue our journey. Last week uh, was the holiday, so we looked at the resurrection. And uh, this week we're going to be back in Romans 14. But I think we're still thankful for the resurrection, probably a week later. <laughs> so, back in Romans, um, if you remember two weeks ago, uh, just by a little bit of review, we finished up Romans chapter 13. And really the gist of the end of Romans chapter 13 is, he, he says kind of a, uh, a pretty tremendous verse. He says, Oh, no man anything except a debt of love. Uh, and the point he's making there is we've, we started back in 12, 13, and now in 14, we're looking at the practical outworking of our faith. Uh, you have 1 through 8, which is basically salvation by grace through faith, struggling as a Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit and finding victory. And then 9 through 11 is essentially that God is, uh, since he's working all things together for good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, that his sovereignty is at work in this world. Uh, and that he is working on every believer's behalf. And that also, in the 9 and 11, is the fact that he is not done with the Jews. But at a future date, God will go back to working with the Jews and fulfill his purpose and promises that he made all the way back to Abraham. So when we get to chapter 12, we're talking about, uh, he talks about uh, giving up our lives as a, a living sacrifice, meaning that we turn over our lives to Christ. And really the theme that we've been looking at for 12 through 14, they're all, uh, all these chapters, uh, 12, 13, 14, are very similar. And in fact, we're, we're asking ourselves, which kingdom do we want to build? Do we want to build our personal kingdom, our personal financial kingdom, with our personal security and our personal friends uh, and everything that focuses on us? Or are we interested in God's kingdom and building that? Uh, they're not mutually exclusive entirely, uh, obviously, we work and, and we want to be wise with our money and those sorts of things. But ultimately, there are going to be things that we give up uh, if we're going to be part of building God's kingdom. It's just the way it is. And it's the way it is because of our natures. It's the way it is by nature of his kingdom, which is uh, winning souls to Christ. And so in 12, we're, we're giving up our lives. We are responding to the gifts that he's given us when uh, they're recognized in us from others around us. And we want to use those gifts for his kingdom, whether it's uh, being organized or it's, you know, whatever it might be. There's a whole list. You can read it. For time's sake, we won't cover it. Uh, but we're to be giving gifts. The next portion of chapter 12 leaves gifts behind and just talks about every believer. And the primary uh, goal, the primary responsibility of every believer, as it said similar, or as it'll continue to 13, is this, to love people. Not uh, always feel fond of people or feel bubbly about people or be emotional about people. But agape love, the idea of looking at another person and, and recognizing, regardless of what they've, done, what they've done, that we want the best for them. We want them to know Christ. We have goodwill towards them. And we do things and we operate in ways that show and promote that love. That's what we're called to do as Christians. That's what's going to build uh, the kingdom of God. And so in that, there, in chapter 12, there may be times where he's talking about the fact that we uh, we want to be genuine. We want to be those that are uh, not repaying evil for evil. Uh, we want to be those that are taking care of people around us as we are able to. And then in chapter 13, he forwards this message of love, and he begins to talk about the government, and which might be difficult for us, but he, uh, you can go back and read it for yourself. But he says that we ought to obey the government. And not just the president, uh, we obey, he says, the ministers sent by him. Uh, and so, remember, this is during uh, the, the reign of Caesars, 
that this is said. This is not a democracy that's going on there. This is not a, uh, they don't get to demonstrate uh, without a riot in which people will die. Um, and, and he's saying, look, we, we obey the government. Now, we know that there are also times as Christians that we don't obey the government. We never want to be walking in disobedience to the government in rebellion. Okay, That's not the heart of it. It's, it's never that we rise up and say, we're sticking it to the man, and we're just not going to do that anymore. No, when we rebel against the government, or the, I shouldn't say that, disobey the government, what we're doing is we're saying, you've gone too far versus what Christ has called us to. In other words, if the government says you can't use the Bible anymore, we're just going to say, no, we're going to keep using the Bible. It may take on a home church kind of a vibe or whatever it might be. If the Bible says you can't say X, Y, or Z for the Bible, we'll say, no, we're going to keep saying that. Uh, not because we're trying to judge or hate people, because we love people and we want them to know what God says is good and what God says is destructive. So when those things come along in World War II, you had right, Jews being rounded up and some of God's people, they, they hid Jews. And when the Roman or the Romans, when the... Might as well have been the Romans. Hitler was fascinated with the Romans. It's kind of interesting. But anyway, when the Germans would come to the door, uh, they would, you know, ask, hey, looking for Jews, the Christians would lie. Say, hey, there's no Jews here. And so there could be a time where we disobey the government to protect people from eradication. So when there's moral issues at hand, there's scriptural precedent for disobeying the government. But in general, we obey the government and we're not looking to rebel against it. And in, in, uh, in multiple letters, Peter writes a letter and mentions it. Paul writes another, a different letter and mentions it. And it's all for the, simply the same reason. First and foremost is that we might live quiet, uh, a quiet life, a peaceable life. And a quiet, peaceable life really is this. We leave the government alone and they leave us alone. right? Because this is ultimately, we're citizens of heaven first. And if our goal is to be those that want to... Uh, build God's kingdom, we can't be busy fighting our government the whole time. We have to be those that are investing in people around us. Now, it's, it's going to be your conscience when you feel that it's, it's uh, time to disobey the government. There's no prescribed rules. You can't turn to Second Rebellion 1 and you know, find out like, what it is that you should do and when you should do it. That's going to be between you and the Lord. Uh, but we uh, need to know that for the most part, we do obey the government for the, so that we can just continue to build God's kingdom and be left alone by them. And then the, then the last part, which we looked at in, in chapter 13, is that we make sure that we love our neighbors and that we don't owe them anything except to love them. In other words, that's not an uh, uh, indictment against uh, reasonable and intelligent debt, like a house payment or something. It is, it's, it's not an indictment against debt at all. It's the idea of don't wrong people and owe them. Don't wrong them and do, do bad by them and then have to owe them more than just to love them. That's the point of it, that we want to make sure that our conscience is clear. Now, in chapter 14, this is actually one of my uh, favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, to be honest, and because it's all about leaving people alone, and I love that. Anytime the Bible says that we can just leave people alone, I'm super into it. Um, not, I'm not saying witnessing doesn't work or anything like that, but chapter 14 is how we express love as Christians to the rest of the body. Uh, and that we uh, are not called to make everybody after our own opinion, that we can just live and let live in things that have to do with opinion. Now, um, I want to say, kind of front load this by saying, look, we're not talking about sin. The Bible's not saying there's never a time to talk about sin with a person. The Bible's not saying that we just rejoice in sin or anything. It's talking about things that are opinions, uh, and, and, and opinions based on faith-based matters. Does that make sense? So he's not talking about fornication or whatever, rudeness. 
He is talking about when there are things that come up uh, that the Bible is silent about or that people are uh, wrestling through. Does that make sense? So it's with that vein that we'll pick up in Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another, per, uh, another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, do you, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee, will shall, excuse me, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So, that, so then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. It's such a great passage, and it's so needful, honestly, for our, uh, our generation, our time. Um, I, I sometimes just sit and muse about society and so forth. I'm pretty fascinated by sociology, how people act and, and how we respond to one another and communication, all that kind of stuff. And it interests me just in, in general um, based on how we can, as a church, uh, not denying the power of the Spirit or something like that, but how we can reach people around us. Because we live in a really weird age, right? Um, and we live in a time where uh, most people have preconceived about every, ideas about everybody else, right? A lot of Christians have preconceived ideas about other uh, people that aren't Christians, and a lot of people that aren't Christians have ideas about us, and, and rarely are they actually true, uh, to be honest. Um, and so when we look at what Paul is talking about here, there's this idea that there's going to be different opinions and different things that go on in the body. And he gives us a couple of... Uh, applications, ways for us to handle it. He gives us ways to look at it. But there's an underlying theme, and I don't know if you caught it, but if you didn't, he, in verse 8, he says this, for we live to the Lord, right? For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So there's an assumption here in chapter 14 that Paul is making, and that is that the reader actually wants to walk with Jesus. Does that make sense? And this, this fits in with the whole theme of 12, 13, and 14, because the whole point of these things are if you want to walk with Jesus, this is how you do it. So, and, and I'm not here to convict or, or, or rage on anyone. If you're not interested in walking with Jesus, then don't sweat it, because you can just one day not walk with Jesus or your whole life, and then you'll stand before him. And I don't say that flippantly or with an attitude or anything. You have every right to not walk with Jesus. He gave you that right. It's probably not uh, a way you want to go. The end doesn't really work out for you that well. But you have here this premise that God has given us through Paul of how to treat each other. And it's completely based on the fact of do we want to build God's kingdom or do we want to build our kingdom? 
do we want people to have our opinions? Do we want people to know what we think? Do we want people to have, uh, and again, we're talking about things that are not necessarily extra biblical, but things that are not essential. Does that make sense? So he, or excuse me, Paul starts this whole thing off and he says this. He, his first analogy, or not analogy, his first comparison is food. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Now, what's Paul talking about here? It could be that Paul is talking about meat sacrificed to idols, but Jews were not vegetarians, right? Jews had meat that they could eat. There were certain animals that they could eat, uh, and, and they were to stick to those animals. So not very many Jews uh, were vegetarians. Uh, I mean, there's, I've never read about one. I'm not saying they didn't exist in ancient history, but that really wasn't a thing in Judaism. So it, it could be that he is talking about meat sacrificed to idols, but he's, he's referencing vegetarians. Now, again, he is not saying if you're a vegetarian for health purposes that you're doing something wrong, Okay. This is because that's a matter of health. This is a matter of faith, right? There's something in these people's faith, and Paul calls it weaker faith, and we'll talk about that. But there's something in their faith that causes them to be unable to eat or unwilling to eat animals. Does that make sense? There's a couple ideas. One is the meat sacrifice idols. The second one is that starting about, I think it's about 800 BC, um, in the Greek culture, and, and Greek is later on, comes, rises to power, and you have all that. There was a Greek philosophy that revolved around essentially kind of almost like a universalism, but it was that animals would have souls. In other words, that they're eternal in nature and so forth. And I'm not even here to debate that. Uh, you know, the, David says when the, the animal dies that, that, it, it, that its consciousness descends, and when man dies, it ascends. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not here. If you need your dog in heaven, it will be there. I promise you that. Because whatever you need in heaven, it will be there. And if you don't need your dog in heaven, it will not be there. So there, there's no scripture that says, we know this, Jesus rides around on a horse, right, when he comes to the earth. We know that animals are part of our world and, and that God created them. So it seems a little weird that all of a sudden heaven would be like sterile and devoid of any other life form. But the point is, whether it was uh, uh, an idea that they wouldn't eat because of uh, a philosophy based on souls, or was it they, they wouldn't eat because they, it was meat sacrificed to idols. The point is they wouldn't eat meat. Why is their faith called by Paul, not by us, by Paul, by the Holy Spirit, as weaker? Because they won't eat the animals. And it's because God declared them clean and edible. So when God says, hey, these animals are clean and edible, right? You have the, when God appears to Peter, uh, you have the fact that from uh, right after the fall, uh, that there was a, that uh, immediately uh, meat is introduced into the diet. You have it prescribed in the law what they could eat. So all throughout the scripture that we have, meat is always something to be uh, consumed. Now, is it to be done humanely? Absolutely. The Proverbs say the righteous man regards his beast. So we're not to abuse animals. We're not to treat neglect animals. We're not to just inflict pain in some sort of sadistic way or anything like that. A righteous person regards their beast, meaning they, they take care of it. They consider it. They're, they're concerned about it. And I, I want to be careful here because we're not just trying to have some like good old boy, like, all right, whatever, doesn't matter. It does matter. 
how we treat animals matter. And so it's something that God says we should be careful with. But he also says that we can eat them, okay? So if I come along in my faith and I say, no, you can't eat them, that's not strong faith because I'm denying what God has already said. Does that make sense? So when you meet someone who is a vegetarian, and this is where verse 1 really comes in, for whatever reason it might be, when we meet someone who's abstaining from meat or alcohol or whatever it might be, he says, invite them in. Isn't that interesting? Verse 1, for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. See, we want to welcome people that are struggling with issues of faith. And it immediately says not to argue with them. Right? Nobody, we are not called to welcome someone in. Like someone comes, like let's say that you meet a Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist, they love Jesus. They're, they're, they're worshiping on Saturday, whatever it might be. And, and, and they're vegetarian because they believe that way, okay? Some of them. Some just abstain from the forbidden meats of the law. Some are vegetarian, right? And that's just a Seventh-day Adventist whatever, tenet, I guess you'd want to call it. Doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. Doesn't mean they don't know Jesus. That doesn't mean any of that. So let's say that we meet a Seventh-day Adventist. But we know, because we've been reading through Romans and we've, we're considering the law, that it's perfectly acceptable that God declared every animal clean and that we can eat them. It would be wrong, and what Paul is saying, don't invite them to your house, your fellowship, to coffee, to your presence, to then tell them how wrong they are about their meeting habits. He's saying, don't do that. And we have to ask ourselves, do we like that? If someone invited you over to their house and all of a sudden, so, I hear you're a pre-millennial uh, uh, rapture person. I'm here to stop that and show you the true way. You probably feel ambushed. You'd feel upset. You probably wonder, like, why are we talking about this? What, what, I don't even know you. Why would you, right? So Paul's just making a simple, this is like one of the most practical things in church. Do not invite people somewhere to argue with them about an opinion that doesn't matter. Isn't that awesome? Can't we just take a deep breath? We don't have to bother people. Let them eat what they want to eat. Now, if it's meat sacrificed to idols, there was, you might recall, there's kind of a, a big deal about that, right? Even all the way back to Acts chapter 15, when you have that Jerusalem summit, where all the, the apostles and all these people get together, and they decide, first and foremost, they decide that uh, through Peter and Paul's testimony, they go, wow, Gentiles can actually be saved. Because up to that point, most of the Jews believed that all of us were going to hell, and there was no chance of redemption for us. Think about that. For 15 years, a huge portion of the church did not believe that if you were not Jewish, that you could be saved to be a Christian. It's kind of a wild time, right? So they decide, they get together, they go, no, 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 anybody can get saved. Anybody can do it. And then James, the kind of the pastor, evidently, the pastor of Jerusalem there at that time, he stands up and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write a letter, and we're going to make sure that we don't trouble the Gentiles with all this Jewish law, okay? Well, we're going to write the letter. This is what it's going to say. We're so glad you can get saved. I'm paraphrasing. It's really great, but don't fornicate. Don't eat things that have been, that have been polluted. Don't eat blood, basically. Don't eat things that are strangled, and don't eat things that are sacrificed to idols, right? Because that was one of the big things in Jewish law. 
you could not eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. It was dedicated to, to another god, and so God said it was unclean, and you shouldn't do that. And there was a scriptural premise behind that, right? And there was a spiritual premise in the whole nine yards. In the New Testament, God says, look, it's all clean. You're not under the law anymore. You want to eat frog legs? Do your worst. You want to eat shellfish? Go at it. You want to eat bacon? That's great, right? That was all forbidden under the Jewish law. So he says, hey, look, we have this liberty. We're not under the law anymore, and we're going to move forward with this. But let's say I am a Jew. I am not, but let's say I am. Let's say I'm 20 years old. I'm in Jerusalem that day and that fateful day, and I, I see uh, or I hear that rushing wind at Pentecost, and I run to the house. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then I hear Peter preach the gospel about the, the, the Savior that died and paid for my sin, rose again from the dead, loves me, and ever lives in heaven and, and wants me to be with him. And I say, I, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm in on that. But for 20 years, I've worked on memorizing the Torah. I've worked on abiding by the law. I've worked on not eating meat sacrificed to idols. I've done all this thing. I've gone to the Passover. I've lived my life. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes along and says, well, now that Jesus has rose again from the dead and Peter had this vision, we can eat whatever we want. Am I just going to be like, right on? There's a good chance I don't do that, isn't there? Do you have things in your life that are from your past that they rule in your hearts that you have to deal with even to today? Things that have no basis, almost even in truth? I'll tell you a weird one. It makes me feel really weird when I see a Bible on the ground. There's nothing in the Bible about that. There's nothing that says that we can't put our Bibles on the ground. But because of the way I was raised in my own Christian life, I got saved when I was 16 into a, a, a very conservative church. And because of that, when I see one on the ground, it makes me cringe because it feels like disrespect. Do I actually think the person that was there is disrespecting it or malicious? No, I don't. But I just have this weird thing. I don't put my feet on it. If it's on a coffee table, I pick them up off the ground. If you put your Bible on the ground and you find it on your seat when you get back, it was me. I have nothing against you. <laughs> There's no condemnation, right? So it's just a thing that I have. The Bible never says you can't put the, the Bible on the ground. But I just look at it, I go, man, this is, even though there, there are copies of plenty, there's more Bibles probably than there are people on the planet. But, you know, even that, I don't know if that's true. It just seems like it. But, you know, even, even with that, it just, it just, it's just something I have, Right? And maybe it's just a, a weird, a, a weak faith that I have, that, that God is somehow disrespected by his word being on the ground. I don't know, right? But it's just something weird that I have. So for, uh, in here, we're, 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 you know, what's being demonstrated is that in this case, there would be people that would not be able in their conscience to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, he gets crazy. Paul is making the point when he's writing to Corinthians, and he says this. Think about this for a second. He says, when you're in an idol's temple eating your meat and your brother sees you and is stumbled, you should not eat that anymore. But think about what he said. When you're in the idol's temple eating your meat. So if you're in Ephesus and you're like, nah, I think I'll just roll down to the temple of Diana and give myself a French dip. It's good. It's cheaper. In other words, Paul's saying, you can, you can go to the temple and eat the meat. You can go do that. In other places, he says, he goes, we know that there's no power in an idol. You know, it's funny because like, we can get freaked out sometimes if we go to like a Thai restaurant and there's a Buddha. And we're like, oh, God, am I, 
oh, am I partaking of their darkness? I just wanted some pad thai, you know? Right? And our conscience can get all smoked. We're like, oh, there's a banana in front of it. Oh, my. Ah! You know, like I'm getting roped into this weird, you know, thing. And Paul's just like, just go eat your pad thai. Like there's, there's, we know that those idols are worth nothing, that there's no power there. But what if I'm a Buddhist and I get saved and I, and I gave so much of my life to serving the, the, the philosophy of Buddha and, and leaving my own banana at, at, you know, at the statue, believing that that would bring favor for me and for my deceased. You know? what, if, what if that was all part of me? And then, and then I see that and it's, it's just, I can't go there. Because it's this thing that, for me, it was so serious. And, I, and so to, to go and to partake of that place, I couldn't do that. That for me, it's sin, and I shouldn't go do it. So he's just making the point that when he says, look, he's not saying that weak faith is good, and he's not criticizing the people that have it. He's just saying that if you have a faith that allows you to eat and have full liberty in that department, but there, but, but there is someone who does not. He says, don't invite them to argue about that. Just leave them alone. Take them to Jack in the Box instead of Ty. I mean, whatever it might be. And he's going to go on because there's further applications that he's going to make and further reasons that he's going to give. He's going to say, that he, the, the, here's the next application. He says, let not the, the one who eats despise the one who abstains. This is really huge. If I have liberty to eat that meat, or I have liberty to listen to secular music, or if I have liberty to drink a beer, if I have liberty to eat, whatever, whatever it is, things that are opinion and not listed as sin, okay, in the Bible. We're not talking about sin issues. We're talking about opinion issues. Now, you could make the argument that, that the weak faith and, and not allowing you to eat, that, that somehow that's, it is, it's contrary to what God has said, but yet he doesn't call it sin, which is interesting, and we'll get to that. But if, if I am the one who is partaking, Paul says directly to me, do not despise. In other words, do not disesteem or devalue. Do not reject the person who doesn't eat. Because we can get like that, can't we? If we have liberty and we're, we're doing something and someone else goes, I, I, can't, I can't go there. That's just not something I can do. We can instantly just be like, you're, you're weak sauce. I just... That's so lame. Why are you like that? And we can despise them. If we despise people because we feel like they have weaker faith than us or they're just unable to go somewhere in liberty that we are, we're sinning. And we're not building up God's kingdom by telling and trying to change their opinion. We're destroying it. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, if you're the one who abstains, do not pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So if I'm the eater, if I'm sitting in my, uh, you know, in the temple of Diana and I'm having my French dip and I look out and see someone from church, I'm like, hey, what's up? Do you want to eat? And they're like, like terrified in fear, like, what are you doing right now? You're worshiping Diana and, and you're, you should be boycotting Diana and you're giving your money to the priest and ah, right? All these things. Then if that person, if I'm the person that, that, that is eating, I'm not to look at the other person and go, you're so lame, dude. What is your deal? It's been, it's been declared clean. This idol has no power. Leave me alone. I'm doing me. And likewise, the other person who sees that person eating is not to judge them. 
And, and, and the idea is condemn them. You're doing wrong, and Jesus is mad. And we're not supposed to do that. Now, on the one, that can really, that scares us, right? Because we, we, we're like, well, I can't have an opinion. No, you can have an opinion. Just keep it to yourself. In fact, that's what the end's going to say. The last verse is, do you have faith? Then keep it to yourself. So in matters of opinion, we keep it to ourselves. You don't like masks? Keep it to yourself. You do like masks? Keep it to yourself. Did you get vaccinated? Keep it to yourself. You didn't get vaccinated? Keep it to yourself. No one cares. And if you care about what someone else has decided, you're the one that's wrong, not them. And it's the same with essential oils and vaccines, right? It's the same with doula or a hospital. It's the same with formula or breast milk. All those weird things that sweep through the church and, and cause division. I remember the first time, like, I don't know if that's when they came out, but I remember the first time the essential oil swept through a church. And it was so weird. I have them at home, by the way. They smell good. I have no idea. If I have a headache, I'm not putting mint. I'm eating Advil. But I do like the scent in my house, right? So, you know, I, I don't have a dog in, the, in the, the essential oil race. But I remember when it swept through. And I remember uh, talking to moms working when I was on staff at Coastline. I remember talking to moms discouraged, worn out, because they were using formula and they got flack from other moms. And breast milk. Yeah, I'm sure every mom on the planet would love to produce gallons of breast milk. I don't doubt that. I, I think that some women have their identity wrapped up in like how much milk they can crank out, you know? And I could understand how moms could you know, feel defeated when they can't make enough milk. Like, I, I mean, not experientially, but I could understand that issue, right? And so when you have a mom that just wants to feed her baby, and I mean, you know moms, you got, you got crazy hormones going on, right? You're trying to recover from a birth. You're trying to, you, you know, take care of the thing that you love more than anything else on the planet. You want to make sure that your baby's sleeping and gaining weight and all those things, right? And you're trying your hardest. And if you can't make enough milk, somebody comes along and they, oh, here, here's this. And then you have this whole branch of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, that just rage on that. Well, which formula are you getting? Is it organic formula? Is it whatever? You know, plant-based? Is it fish-based? I don't know what's out there, but it's like, you're like, all these things. Does it have this vitamin? Does it have that vitamin? Oh, is it this? Oh, is it that? Oh, I read an article from somebody who owns a lavender farm. You know, and you're just like... And you ruin this new mom. And now she's in tears feeding her baby formula because she wants it to, 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 to gain weight. And, and, and we just ruin her. And now she's convicted about that. Organic food, the same way. I remember, there wasn't organic food when I was a kid, I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure there's planes everywhere that flew around and sprayed pesticides everywhere. But I don't, so I don't ever remember going to the store as a child and seeing organic food. But what I did see go is sweep through the church when I was in my 20s and 30s, and it blew through, and everybody had to buy organic. And if you weren't buying organic, you hate your kids, right? Or if you do buy organic, you're a fool, right? Those are kind of the two different thought processes. You're an idiot if you buy it, or you hate your kids if you don't. And it sweeps through the church. And then you have people that are like single moms working two jobs, barely afford pizza pockets, much less, much less organic tomatoes, their kids probably wouldn't eat anyway, right? And then there's this huge condemnation on these people that they're just trying to do their best. 
And, and so one side despises and the other side judges. And isn't it cool that we can like go to church and someone can dab mint on their temples and someone else can take Advil? And it's going to be just fine. Right? We can go to church where one person's wearing a mask and another person isn't wearing a mask. And everything's going to be just fine. And in fact, we are called to not talk to them about it. To not share our opinion. I love this. This is my favorite thing in the world. Are you going to talk to them? No. That's between them and Jesus. They can wear 15 masks. I don't care. Right? We don't have to go, oh, they're giving into the fear of the government. You have no idea why they're wearing it. Oh, they're not taking a vaccine because they hate science. You have no idea why they're not getting it. But we let the media, we let Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow lead us in our spiritual beliefs. And it's a joke. And I love that Paul just comes along and he's like, hey, 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 hey. Just let them be. Don't judge. Don't despise. Don't invite him over to tell him your opinion. Like, I think he knew about triangle scams or something, but he's, it is what it is. So he goes on. He says, look, in verse 4, he says, Who are you to pass judgment? The servant of another. Isn't that a great question? That's a great thing to ask ourselves. If I'm upset because somebody got a vaccine, I can just say to myself, Who am I? To judge this person. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. We're no one. Because they're another person's servant. They're not our servant. They're Jesus' servant. And and this is where it can get really sticky. Because he says here, It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. This This is reason number 562 why I'm an eternal security guy. Because he will be upheld. You know, if you see someone who um, is going in a direction, in this case, not eating meat, and they're doing it because their conscience won't allow them to, they're going to stand. They're going to stand before the Lord, and there will be no condemnation to them for that. Because he that eats does it unto the Lord and honors the Lord. And he that does not eat does not eat for the Lord, right? And if their decision is not for the Lord, then that's also between them and the Lord. It's not our business. Now, if you have an intimate relationship with someone and you're talking with them and they're, they're bound up and you're trying to help them, then sure, that's one thing. But just inviting random people over to our homes or seeing them at church and you know, going, I see you have Advil in your hand. Do you know what that does to the capillaries in your kidneys? Yes, I do. verse 5 now this is the second example and in this example there's no one with a a weak faith and no one with a strong faith this is just a second example of a different opinion one person esteems one day as better than another while another person esteems all days alike and each one should be fully convinced in his own mind the one who observes the day observes it to honor the Lord the one who eats eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to the Lord, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks, gives thanks to the Lord. So, his second example is holidays, or just special days. Now, we know that there are many holidays in the Jewish tradition, right? 
There were holidays that were based on uh, the Feast of Booze, for example, celebrating that they had all lived in tents and God had provided for them, and so they, they lived in lean-tos for a week against their house. We have the Feast of Trumpets, which was an exciting thing to do with harvest. We have the First Fruits, which was an exciting thing to do with harvest. You have all these different feasts that, that the, the Jews had, right? So for them, you might be a Jew your whole life, and you, and you get saved, and your family's saved, and you say, hey, you know what? Feast of, uh, you know, the, the Feast of Booths is coming up. The, let's, let's, let's make a lean-to and camp for a week, all right? And so let, let's say that you're, that you're a Christian now, and, and that you're, a, you're a, uh, uh, a Gentile, and you get saved, and you say, hey, let's, let's put a lean-to against the house and camp for a week. And then when your kids go, why are we doing this? You say, well, the children of Israel, which we are not, we're the church, but the children of Israel were delivered and they walked around in tents and God always provided for them and they were there to, to remember that they were a migrant people and that they were God's special people. And we just want to do it because we like camping, we like s'mores, and we like God. So we're into it, right? <laughs> so if I walk down the street and I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you doing in a lean-to? You're not a Jew. You don't follow the law. You're free from the law. Haven't you read Paul's letter yet? It's pretty solid. It says you don't have to do what the law says anymore. What are you doing? And I judge them. I'm free from the law. I don't sit in a lean-to. Why would you do it? And this is actually really basic to human opinion, isn't it? A lot of things that we experience, we go, well, I don't do that, so why would you? Right? That's a justification for a lot of things. I don't drink a beer with, with a hamburger. Why do you do it? If I don't do it, clearly you shouldn't. If, I, if you should be doing it, then I would do it too. Isn't that how we think? We think if I don't do it or I don't think about it, then nobody else should. And so he just makes the point with days. He says, look, the one who keeps it, if some guy wants to put a lean-to up to his, uh, next to his house for his family to, to sleep in, and his wife's into that, and then they just like celebrate the fact that God was good to the Jews, who are we to come along and go, you shouldn't do that? If that guy partakes of it and respects the Lord and honors the Lord with his day, and I say, well, I'm not going to do that. I honor the Lord because I don't think he's called me to do that because I'm not a Jew and I'm free from the law. And so I don't have a right to, to judge him for doing it, and he doesn't have a right to despise me for not doing it. Does that make sense? Now, what about today? Last week was Easter. Easter, the word Easter is, is a derived from the word of the goddess Ishtar. You ever wonder why there's a bunch of bunnies with, with uh, uh, eggs everywhere? Because in like right around 352 or whatever it was, Constantine, Emperor Constantine, won a battle he was losing after calling out to the Christian God. So he believed that the Christian God was real. So his application to that was to force all Romans to be Christians and to make them, uh, to make Christianity the, 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 uh, the religion of the Roman state at that time. And so what he did, because the vast majority of Romans had a very similar mythology to Greeks and so forth, they're all polytheists. And so what he did is he made um, different celebrations that both Christians and well, some Christians, and, and polytheists would be willing to partake in. And thus we have Easter. And that's why we have the Easter bunny and why we have the eggs. It's a celebration of fertility that was derived from Roman gods, right? But let me ask you something. When we had Easter yesterday, and you, or yesterday, last Sunday, whenever you, whatever you did, what you did. If you went out and got your kids a basket or you got your spouse a basket or whatever and got some chocolate eggs in it or a chocolate bunny, did you sacrifice any of your children? Probably not, because you're still here and not in prison, right? 
Did you celebrate fertility with some weird sexual escapades? Probably not, right? You got a basket, got some chocolate, hunted for some eggs with the kids, and then you went to church or you had a family deal. You did whatever you did, right? So what Easter was in 352 AD and what Easter is today are significantly different, aren't they? Because Jesus still rose again from the dead, and he still did it a few days after Pentecost, or after uh, Passover, right? So th- th- that still happened, and we can still celebrate that. See, my point is that if you celebrated Easter, and I didn't because of its pagan roots, not the resurrection, but what got added to it later, I have no right to judge you for that. And Paul says if I do judge you for celebrating that, I'm wrong. I'm the one that's wrong. And if you despise me and say, well, you're just a moron because you can't get on with your life and realize it's just chocolate, then you're wrong. Right? I'm supposed to leave you alone. Even if I don't celebrate it. If you go, oh, it was crazy. We had such a fun time with the kids and the eggs and the the dyes and it went everywhere and it was just great and the carpet stained and then we did this big thing. My calling as a Christian, as a faithful Christian of Jesus Christ, said, God bless you. I hope you enjoyed that and drew new to Christ. And when I tell you that we did nothing because it's all pagan, then it's your job to say, God bless you, and I hope you did that unto the Lord and enjoyed your time of doing nothing. That's literally our calling. Christmas is very similar. I don't want to pop any bubbles. Jesus probably wasn't born December 25th. It's way more in line with winter solstice and a celebration of of different gods from, from Rome. But, I don't know about you, but when I had a Christmas tree last year, um, we didn't dance around it naked. We didn't sacrifice our children underneath it. We didn't sing any songs worshiping it. We put it up, and we said, what amazing lights. And then we made hot chocolate, and then we just hung out as a family. And then when Christmas came, we talked about being thankful, and we opened gifts because I love giving my kids gifts. And it's fun to see their faces and all that kind of stuff. And then we ate way too much and stayed in pajamas all day. Right? There was no idol worship. We didn't sneak in Ishtar's name or or Ashram's name or anything like that. We just rejoiced in Jesus. So if you come along and you say, don't you know that there's a reference to putting a tree in your house in Jeremiah and putting tinsel and all that on it, and so that's idolatry? I can say, yeah, the cool part is I didn't worship any idols, and nobody did in my house. We just enjoyed the scent of pine. Secretly, we don't anymore because I have a fake tree, and I feel so emasculated because of that. (laughs) Until I put it up, and it takes five minutes. I'm like, oh, this is not my manhood. I'm perfectly fine with this. But so you put it up, you enjoy it. It's fine. So I have the right to enjoy Jesus' birth on a prescribed holiday with my children. And you have the right to say, I can't go there because of where it came from. God bless you in that. I respect that. I can't put my foot on a Bible or put it on the ground. And if you can, God bless you with that. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not for us. Now, if you put a tree up in your home and you dance around it naked and you sacrifice one of your children, and you ascribe power to the tree, then we could talk, right? Then we could say, that's wrong, because you're 
you're looking for power outside of Christ. And you're trying to find satisfaction in this wicked idolatry. But if you're not doing that, then do what you got to do. God bless you in that. This is so important for peace in the church. It's so important for love to be fostered in relationship and discipleship and worship and all these things. You know, at one point when Paul's writing to the Galatian about liberty and things like that, he says this. He says, be careful unless you bite and devour one another. That's what Christians are so good at. We just think, you know, my way is the best way. And if you do it a different way, either you're, you hate Jesus, you hate your family, or you're just plain wrong. And that's just not true. I think we're all just people trying to make our way, trying to do what God would have us to do. But see, therein lies the whole point. Are you, when you have Christmas, is it unto the Lord? When you abstain from Christmas, is it unto the Lord, or is it just because you're ticked off about having Christmas? Which is it? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Do you, or why do you despise your brother? Reiterating those same two words, that same two points. Here's, his, here's the, the, the third reason he gives. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Every last one of us will stand before the Lord. And we will all give an account of our life. So if I erected a Christmas tree in my home for pagan reasons, I will answer to Jesus for that. He will be the one to let me know what I did wrong. Again, are we talking about blatant sin? No, we're not. There are other prescriptions for that of how we discuss things with one another. We are talking about matters of opinion. And so before the Lord, each one of us will stand. Now we know that he's able to make the other person stand. We also know that if we spend our lives trying to nitpick one another, that will merely be consumed in the end. That will not last into eternity. Sin sniffers are not going to be, the, the, the person may enter in, but that attitude is not coming with them. That will be burnt away at the judgment seat of Christ, the beam of seat judgment. There's a great white throne judgment, which is for uh, unbelievers, and then there's a the, there's the judgment for Christians, which is the beam of seat judgment. We don't have time to go into that. But the reality is, as in, I look at it through an eternal security lens, and a lot of that's because of the description that we have in 1 Corinthians 3, that a, a person, a believer, who has the foundation of Christ, but builds with wood, hay, and stubble, that that person's entire, whatever was built, the attitudes, the actions, what, you, what we become when we insist on sin, that will all be burnt away. But it says, but he himself shall be saved, though as by fire. So there will be those of us, if, if we've lived our lives in that way, that when we stand before the Lord, a big part of who we are will have to be burnt away because we didn't give it up in this life. Since we didn't take up our cross and follow Jesus in this life, those things that we held on to and molded us into the greedy, angry, bitter people that we can become, that'll get stripped from us by fire. I don't know what that means. It does not sound fun. And so when we lose that, then the soul, the purified soul, having had removed all the gunk and all the sin we insisted on, will enter in, right? That's what 1 Corinthians 3, 12 tells us. So we can rest assured that every one of us will stand before Jesus. And I am convinced, and this, and this is an opinion, so you can throw it away. I am convinced that there will be a lot of people, and hopefully not me, but a lot of people that are going to stand before the Lord just, just ready to get praise for ripping God's people. And I find it really hard to believe that Jesus is going to be like, you know what? 
I am so glad that you mocked my people for a living. I was going to do it myself, but you had it handled. <laughs> right? I don't think there's going to be, I don't think there will be any reward for that. If you're not offering people and helping people to walk with Jesus, you're just tearing down what they believe. You're just raging on them. You're just making satire and memes and radio shows where all you do is just poop on God's people. I do not believe for a second that Jesus is going to high-five you for that. That he's going to be like, oh, yeah, they are so lame, but you, you're legit. Come on in. I don't think so. It's just an opinion. But I think those people will lose the most because they built their whole lives on shredding other people. And Christ spent his whole life building them up. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is our life about? Is it about insisting on my opinions, my things, what I believe, drums, no drums, Advil, mint, you know? Is, it, is that what's important? Or is it the souls of human? Knowing that they're cared for and loved and that God has great things for them. And if they would merely turn from their sin, that there's an incredible life to live. I think it's the latter. I think that that's what will last. He's going to go on and he makes this huge emphasis in verse 13. He says, therefore, so because of everything we just said, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. We're not talking about sin, okay? Sin gets dealt with. I get that. If you have someone in the gathering who's constantly you know, making fun of or, or hurting other people, you go to that person and you say, you have to stop or you're gone. We will not have you in our church if you're acting that way. We, you can, that's a sin issue. We are talking about passive things. We're talking about things that people, Christmas. We're talking about what, you know, eating chocolate. We're talking about having a beer with a burger. We're talking about having your meat sacrificed to idols. I don't know where you would get that nowadays, but you, know, you go to Sri Lanka and you're like, oh, hey, yeah, I'll take that. I mean, whatever. That's what we're talking about. He says, it's time that we stop judging each other. That's impossible for human beings. Isn't it? Don't you just read that and dismiss it? You kind of go, yeah, we should stop judging. <laughs> In other news, because you, you can't do it. This is a strictly a miracle of the Holy Spirit in a life. For many of us, our first instinct is someone says something. Yeah, I had a great Christmas, you heathen. <laughs> you would. I'll bet you went and saw Santa too, didn't you? <laughs> you know, it's like the first thing we do. Someone says something we don't agree with, and we're like, you're a moron. Otherwise, you'd believe what I believe. And Paul's coming along, and he's saying, look, we have to deal with that. And that's something that takes time to deal with. It takes patience to deal with it, because every single time it comes up in our mind, what do we do? We Romans 12 it, and we present ourselves as sacrifice to God. And we go, you know what, Lord? Forgive me. Forgive me that that person said this thing, or I saw them doing this thing. It's just, in, it's just a peripheral issue and I judge them and I, I actually think that I'm worthy to judge another human being I actually think that I have some sort of godliness or authority in myself to despise someone that you laid down your life for to mock someone that you bled for and to, to embrace and understand the reality of the depravity of looking at another person for their 
personal convictions on things and looking to destroy them. It's rancid. It destroys churches. It destroys individuals. It brings people to depression and anxiety and confusion. It shipwrecks faith. You know, all the fornicators running around in the world, they're not destroying the church. We are. When we look at one another and, and, and measure one another and argue with one another and bite one another over stupid stuff, it doesn't matter in the end. And Paul's saying, stop, stop. He's very emphatic. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide. Isn't that interesting? An action word. Instead of passing judgment, instead decide. He knows how wrecked we are. He knows that it's a decision. We have to stop and decide to do it. He knows it doesn't come naturally. Judgment comes naturally. Mockery comes naturally. Disagreement, rage, those come naturally. But instead he says, decide this, never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Total gear shift. I know that I am persuaded, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself in context. He's not talking about porn or something like that. He says that nothing is unclean in itself, not meat sacrificed to idols, not a beer, not, you know, whatever. It is unclean for anyone who thinks that it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. See, now we're bringing it right back to 12 and 13. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not uh, let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual unbuilding. This is a hard word for us. He says, instead of judging someone, let's not do that anymore. Now we're going to decide that we're going to curb our liberties to ensure the self-keeping, or the safekeeping, I should say, of our brethren. In other words, the first time I'm in uh, uh, the idol's temple eating my meat and hanging out, and I see someone for church walk by, and they're just stunned like, what in the world? I don't go back there. Not because I can't handle it, but because the liberty that I have to eat and drink what I want is not more important or more helpful to God's kingdom than ensuring that I can help my brother with righteousness and with love, which is what the kingdom is about, and joy. See, our job is to help usher people in, not insist on our own things so we can have what we want. That's just called selfishness. It still is. There's one of my favorite sayings I've ever read, and I've said it a few times, there's two liberties there's a false liberty that says I have the freedom to do what I want. And there's a true liberty that says I have the freedom to do what I should. And we're called to the true liberty, the one that lays down our lives, the liberty that Christ walked in, who had all the joy in the world of any human being, and yet he laid down his life daily, who had right to everything and anything and laid it all down so that we could get saved. So who are we to come along and say, I don't really give a rip about you because I have the right to do this. No one. We don't have that right. And I, for one, don't want to stand before the Lord and go, yeah, you know what? I didn't really care. Forget those guys, because I was more important, and what I wanted was more important. I, yeah, that's scary to me. 
to look at Jesus in the eye and say, you know what, I basically lived my life around what I wanted, and I treated people how I wanted to treat them because I didn't feel they were worthy of me or my opinions. That's some scary stuff to the one who shed his blood for every human being, to say, I despised someone that you loved, and I felt like I had the right to do it. That's some wild stuff right there. We think how low we can sink. And then last he says this, do not for, food, for the sake of food destroy the work of God. In other words, don't keep doing something that's going to destroy your brother. They can't handle it. Either they, they get emboldened and then they partake violating their own conscience, which brings about, again, anxiety, depression, guilt, shame, right? Brings them right into that. You're having a beer around an alcoholic. You might bring them into a mad relapse for what? Your liberty because you can't eat a cheeseburger without a Pepsi instead? I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous, the things that we want to claim. I'm going to badmouth everybody with a mask because I've watched too much conspiracy theory stuff. I don't care whether masks work or not. It doesn't matter. So someone's wearing a mask. Let them wear it. Yeah, you throw your tinfoil hat on and then wear your mask. I don't care. You know, just as a complete side note, I believe it's Isaiah 6, but I have to look it back up. Look it back up. There's a great verse about conspiracies in Isaiah 6. It says, Isaiah speaking to the nation of Israel from God says this. Maybe it's eight. Anyway, stop saying conspiracy, conspiracy to my people. He tells them to stop saying it. And he says, instead, stop fearing man, but fear God. And the point that Isaiah makes is if you're all wrapped up in conspiracies, you fear man. You're scared of the government. You're scared of what man can do to you. And the reality is they can't do anything to you. They can take your body. That's it. They can't take your soul. And so, so we're, the, we're called to not just be hanging out on conspiracy websites and be fearful of everything under the sun. We don't care. It doesn't matter. We're, our life is so much above and superior to that because of the life we have in Christ. Those people can't do anything to us. Why would we worry about it? They're not going to get away with everything. anything. They'll stand before Christ. I, I have no problem with there being conspiracies. If Satan is the prince of the power of the air and he blows wind, his, his breath is the pneuma in the sons of disobedience, why would we be surprised that he has some sort of cabinet that works secretly in humans? Now let him work. What do we care? We have the good news. So he goes on, he says this, it is not good to, uh, excuse me, it is, is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. There you go. That should be our life verse. He's not saying don't share the gospel, right? That's not our context. He's saying that the, the faith that you have about your, your convictions before God, keep it to yourself. Not everybody needs to know it. It just doesn't need to happen. Then he goes on, he says this, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. He brings it back to ourselves. He says it's a blessed life when you're not condemned about what you're doing. In other words, when you're walking in faith in Christ and you're doing what you believe that God wants you to do, he says that's a blessed life. You're blessed if you're living that life. Let other people live it, <laughs> is the point. Because he's going to go on in verse 23, he says this, but whoever has doubts is condemned, not by God, but by themselves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. 
For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's like the weapon of mass destruction. Do you want to know what sin is? Sin is when you or I do something that didn't proceed out of obedience to Christ. That's rough. When you really start kind of weighing that out, sin or doing wrong by God, missing God's mark, is when we do something that we do not believe that God would want us to do. Fill in the blank. Some show you're watching, some book you're reading, some relationship you're in, something you're looking on the internet. When we step out, having a beer, not having a beer, when we step out into where we don't believe God wants us to do, Paul says, that's a sin to you. Why would we want to mess with what's sin to other people? I don't understand that. Why would we want to have any word? Why would we ever want to stand before the Lord and say, yeah, I messed with your people for my own opinions. And I tried to make them more like me because I knew I was right. Why would we do that? Man, it's such good news. We can just be quiet and let people live their lives. And if something crazy happens and they're sinning, we'd be like, hey, that's crazy and you're sinning and I love you and I just wanted you to not do that so that you wouldn't have bad ramifications from that. Do you want to come over for dinner? <laughs> right? That's what we're called to. Anyway. So how do you apply it? When you catch yourself measuring, when you catch yourself judging or despising, repent. In that very moment, Lord, this is the person whom you died for and your word says that they're able to stand before you. And, and I, that's, that's what I want to walk in today. That's how we apply this. And then if we're wrestling with something and, uh, and, and that, that someone else is doing, if it's not sin, we give it to the Lord. Lord, this, you know my thoughts, but this is yours. If you're, not, if you're not sure about it, go to someone you trust. Not to gossip, but to say, hey, I, I, you know, I know someone. You don't have to even name them. I know someone. This is going on. It seems bad to me. I don't know. It seems like a gray area. What do you think? And that person might say, I think you're nuts. It's not a big deal. You'd be like, cool, thanks. And then we can leave it be. So there's lots of great ways. What will come out of this? I think revival in our own hearts, in our church, in our community. When people can come in and just be loved, not nitpicked. We can trust one another that we want the best for each other. Isn't that great when you're around someone that you, you really believe has your best in mind? Isn't that the most comfortable place in the world? Isn't that, I mean, that's what every marriage should be. But it's what every church should be also. That we can walk in and go, these people are for me. They're not against me. I could bring people here and they could get healed too by Jesus. Not if I bring someone here and they're wearing the wrong shirt. I'm not sure what's going to happen. You know? Anyway, it's time to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for how mighty our salvation is. Thank you for how wonderful the blood is. And Lord, that we're cleansed from sin. Thank you, Lord, for all your people and, and all of our diversity. Lord, thank you that you're so patient when we have troubles with things that you say are okay or we do things that you say are not. Thank you that you've put us together with a bunch of people that are just all trying to follow you. And Lord, I pray that when we despise or judge that you would reveal that to us. I pray we would be humble people before you and humble before one another. I pray that we would esteem one another as more excellent than ourselves, that we would lay down our lives for one another. 
And Lord, that we would um, be building one another up in our holy faith. You're very kind to us, and we appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.